there and can make it back. Salutations and shit, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of your favorite travel podcast, Travel and Shit. Where I, your host, D. Carrie, have an experiential conversation about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life. Appreciate you for being here. And I am, again, I feel like I've said this numerous of times, um, but I'm trying to keep this short. I am just going to take a sip. If you're watching on the YouTubes, you can see I'd mentioned in a live I did on Instagram, I did a live unboxing. Um, I got some new merch. So there are traveling shit beer cozies. That was intentional. Hopefully you heard the gulp. The cozies actually do fit. So I don't think that they're going to fit on like a standard, maybe what's a wide bottle. Like they probably won't fit on like a Guinness, but uh, they do fit on, what is this? A Voodoo Ranger, which is pretty good by the way. I don't know these people, but they should taste good. Um, so we've got beer cozies. We've got um, new mugs. We've got a new journal. There are, um, what was it? New long sleeve shirts on the site. So peruse around, see if you're interested, you know, give it a little, uh, little browse, if you will. I would appreciate um, you guys checking out and let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you're actually interested in. So let's just jump into it. This week's episode is about travel anxiety and how I cope with it. Um, so we are planning on going to Puerto Rico for our anniversary on Saturday. That's literally what is today's Wednesday. So I've got literally, really, it's just two days to get my shit together. I haven't packed shit. Um, I think most of my laundry is washed, so I'm in a good space at least, but I know that I wanted to, you know, buy a little fit or two. So I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping that when I go out tomorrow, then I'm able to pull something together, you know? And what I've realized in this space of planning, and mind you now, there are two of us on the planning front. It's not just me doing solo planning. Pardon, it's two of us. However, I generally take the lead with most things because that's kind of just my personality. Uh, boyfriend's really, really laid back. And that really works out nicely in our, uh, what would you call this? Not other than relationship, in our partnership. It just really works out nicely where I take certain things, um, certain things that are my bag, he lets me lead. Things that are his bag, I let him lead. The kitchen, absolutely his bag. Anything food related, anything food and spirits, that is his bag times 47,000. He loves his foods and his spirits and has never steered me wrong. So I let him take lead on those things. But when it comes to travel, he lets me do what I want. And then he just fills in the blanks. 
Now, I have really, it's always been a stressful process for me. Just because I've done a ton of trips does not lessen the amount of stress for me. And I realized in this most recent planning, we'll be in Puerto Rico, by the way. Um, I've never been to Puerto Rico, so this is an this is an exciting trip for me. Um, he's been a few times. He's got family out there, so for him, return. Um, but I realized that for me, I find myself getting the most stressed when it comes to things that I can control. So things that I have no control over, they don't fucking stress me because I understand that I, what am I, what can I do to change this? So my stress correlates to the amount of control I have over the decision. And it's kind of like therapizing myself. I don't know if that's a word, but in this world here, in the travel and shit world, it is. So in me therapizing myself, it's a matter of having issue with making poor decisions, if you will. So say all that to say, I'm going to discuss the things about travel that stress me out and how I get over those stressors. So starting with the absolute least stressful thing to me is not speaking the language of wherever I'm going. I really don't give a fuck only because we have the technology for that. Google Translate. I feel 100% comfortable just using Google Translate, smiling and asking questions of those that do speak English whenever I'm abroad. Um, The only part it gets a little tricky is when I'm trying to navigate different things and there aren't pictures available in terms of like grocery shopping or just being in a restaurant and you're looking at a menu and it doesn't have pictures, um, is when I can't understand the characters. So in China, I don't know what the fuck's going on in terms of what I'm hearing or what I'm seeing. But if I go someplace where they speak Italian, if I go someplace where they speak French, I at least recognize the characters so I can match what the characters are that I'm reading to what is, you know, being displayed. So street signs make more sense. Store um, signage makes sense. It's easier for me to navigate in a world where I am familiar with the characters. So not speaking the language doesn't really stress me out. Next thing on this list, on the hierarchy of <laughs> my stressors in terms of travel, are airports. I do not like the airport portion of my travels. It's n- there's no fun at all. It's not enjoyable. It's I don't like crowds. I don't think I've liked crowds for most of my life as as a kid I don't think it bothered me one way or the other but as I got older I stopped liking crowds just because I kind of feel like there are so many ways for things to go wrong you're more reliant on other people making wise decisions in terms of well we're all sharing this space right so if we're sharing this space to a certain extent your decisions matter to my safety and my um, comfort in this immediate area. So I don't really like spaces where there are a lot of people, period. Now, 
airports, none of them make sense. They have a general layout. It's not like, um, people always like to talk wild hot shit about Queens where they're not wrong. There's like a 115th Street, 115th Avenue, 115th Boulevard, 115th Place. I get it. But at some point, 115 is going to break and the next street is going to come and you're going to know if you're going the right way or if you're not going the right way. I've never been a person that has been good at directions. I have a really shit sense of direction. So I like when things ascend or descend. Are the numbers going up or are they going down? Are the letters progressing through the alphabet or are we regressing? Those types of changes make sense to me. So airports, thankfully, generally flow when it comes to the gates in a very similar fashion. They go up or they go down. You're going by letters or you're going by uh, numbers. For the most part, it's by numbers, I think. I'm pretty sure they're always by numbers. That being said, the finding or navigating through the airport in a language that you do not speak, um locating where baggage claim is or locating where um security is like once you enter and you're ready to and you're going to like a departing flight trying to find a ticketing uh desk not all airlines allow for you to check in prior to your departure and not all airlines let you use mobile um devices to scan or access your tickets. Some of them will actually have you go to the ticketing desk to print your boarding pass, or some of them will have you go to a kiosk to print to print your boarding pass. That being said, finding the appropriate kiosk or finding the appropriate ticket desk, getting all that done, generally you know before you get to the airport whether or not you're going to have to do all of that. That being said, I always just arrive with the most amount of time because I know in certain cases, well, I know in any instance that's not JFK or maybe LaGuardia, but if it's not JFK and if it's not LaGuardia, chances are I'm going to feel lost. Chances are I'm going to be worried about whether or not I am going to find what I need to find in an appropriate amount of time. Pause. Miami's airport is fucking huge. You can, I remember walking for the longest amount of time looking for the fucking bathroom. And in hindsight, now I remember that there was a long walk and a a short walk. And I absolutely took the long walk to find the bathroom because I remember that I was in basically, we walked in to the same area of the airport that I was in the last time I was there. But all that being said, it can be really hard to find a bathroom. It can be hard to find the baggage claim. It can be hard to find the ticketing agent. The point is get there fucking early. That is my surefire way of lessening my anxiety. If I am there two hours before my plane is going to depart, regardless of how long those lines are, regardless of all the uh, fuckery that is going on and how crowded things are, I'm 80% sure that I'm going to have enough time to go through, um, what is that security and get to my gate. 
Because another option is not option, but another concern is, is my gate in the same place? How far is my gate from security? Um, I feel like it, is it LaGuardia? I don't know what it is, but I want to say it's either a Delta terminal or a JetBlue terminal. When I tell y'all that shit is wild far, it's like disrespectful far. I feel like I walked further than two miles. It was a, it was really like a 30 plus minute walk from security to my gate. Okay. And shit like that can absolutely happen. And I know that because I have experienced it. That being said, I always arrive early. So I'm less likely to feel stressed when I get to the airport. Another solution that I've found that absolutely decreases my anxiety about going to airports is having global um, global entry, TSA pre-check. That has been my favorite travel flex and also the most affordable travel flex. It's $100 for global entry, which includes TSA pre-check, and you're good for five years. Essentially, you are allowed to skip the extra long line and get on the sometimes long line, but usually not long line, and go through security. You don't have to take off your shoes. I don't remember if you have to take off your belt because I don't really wear belts. Yeah, I don't wear belts. Um, But your security process is a little bit, easier because you don't have to wait on the generally really long general public line. Um, Another bonus to having global entry is that when you return or when you go, like when you return to, when you return to the state, do they have, yeah, they have global entries in a lot of different countries. So your customs line is shorter than the general customs line. Um, I want to say not every country, damn, it's at this point, it's been, damn you COVID at this point, it's been maybe two years. Yeah. January. No, it's only been a year. Well, it's the end of January. It's the end of 2021. So I'm not really bugging out, but it's almost been two years since I've like left the country. And I want to say that global entry applies not everywhere, but where there is a, where the country has an airport that you're flying into, of course, because let's say Italy has four different airports. It's not necessarily, matter of fact, let me see, global entry. I'm not going to sit here and look all of this up that long because I'm getting hungry. Global entry is clutch. I will promise you that when you come back to the States, you don't have to wait on the fuck ass long line. You get to just go right to the little kiosk, boop, 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 declare no, 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 whatever your answers are going to be because I'm not telling you to lie um, and then go to the customs agent and you're out. Global entry is absolutely clutch, especially when you're coming back to the United States. I do not remember because at this point it has been two years, actually longer than two. I've only done one international uh, trip within the last two years. Retention has never been my ministry, y'all. So 
I want to say that some countries do have global entry, but I think that it only applies to the country that you are of origin from. So I don't know that global entry allows for you to process faster through customs of other countries. That's something that you're going to have to check the FAQs or Google for your own, you know, um, yes, that is the case because when you go through customs, you generally go through the, um, if you're American, you go through the country of origin. Like if you're in, um, in Europe and you have an EU passport, you go through that line. If you have an American passport or other or visitor passport, you go through that line. Um, so, but either way, follow up with the internet and confirm whether or not global entry allows you faster entrance through customs when you go to other countries. But I do know for 100% certain that when you come back to the States, shorter line, because not everybody has global entry. So there's that. But that being said, airports are always going to be stressful for me, but I know that I don't have any control of what's going on at the airport. So I tend not to stress it too much. It's annoying. I don't enjoy it. I try to, you know, just accommodate myself by making sure that I have things that'll make my time in the airport more enjoyable, right? And by enjoyable, I just mean, am I dressed appropriately? I have a travel uniform. I'm always in jeans, white tee, relatively comfortable sneakers. And I'll end up wearing, um, what do you call it? A, a fleece because that'll always keep me warm on the plane. I always have headphones and I always wear a hat just because I'm a hat girl. And so I know within myself on my person, I'm straight. I get there early and I can make sure that I have more than enough time for things to go wrong. Now, the flights. I, you know, tend to... in an, I'm trying to make this as non-self-deprecating as possible. But being very clear here, I tend to make a mountain out of a molehill. I can fold down rabbit holes and make things more complicated than they need to be. And flights tend to be like that middle ground for me. So they're not that difficult, right? I can either leave when they're leaving or leave when they're not leaving or, or not, find something else. But I always look for, say, a flight that leaves like a Friday night. For some reason, I don't really find too many of those within um, an agreeable time for my schedule. I work in Manhattan. I live in Queens. So unless I were to bring my bags to work, I would absolutely want and prefer a flight that leaves, let's say, eight o'clock or better. And that would be with me taking, say, a taxi from my job with my luggage. Granted, I don't live far from JFK, but I wouldn't want to get home, pick up my stuff, and then go to JFK from there and, you know, cut it close only because it can take me, depending on how I'm getting home from the city and the way my mind works, wanting enough time. So I generally ends up finding a flight that will leave on Saturday morning. So if I know what my availability is for the fucking trip, it shouldn't be that hard to book a flight. However, 
it gets a little confusing for me when it comes to layovers. Now, if I know that I'm planning to say go far, if I'm going to someplace in Asia, I would like to break that flight up. I don't want to be on anybody's plane longer than like 10 hours before uh, COVID, after COVID. Don't want to be on a plane that long. So it has always been beneficial to me. And I have absolutely been able to see so many more countries because of layovers. But sometimes you're given quite a few options in terms of your layovers. I'm thinking back to the one of the last trips that was very difficult for me to decide on a layover, which was China. I really wanted a layover into Beijing so that I could uh, have easier access to the Great Wall, but I ended up missing out on the flight that had the best window for me to do that because my China trip was a layover trip. I was there for about 20 hours and I ended up having a layover in Shanghai and it was in perfect alignment with being able to do something for the day. I arrived at maybe like 6 a.m. and I didn't leave until maybe like 8 p.m. that night or something like that. I don't know. Uh, so I ended up having, since I got there that early pro tip, if you are intending to leave the airport during your layover and you want to do something that you would have to book while you're in that location, your best option is to get there wild early. So if you can land at say like 6am or something, most of the, or not most, but a lot of the excursions, like the day trips, if you will, will pick you up very early. Sometimes you can arrange for them to actually get you from the airport. Um, but you don't want to come in at say like nine o'clock and expect to be able to do a day trip unless it were say maybe like a walking tour that met at like 10 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. Also be wary that you don't book something for early on and then like, you don't wanna book something too close to your landing time only because one, you don't know if you'll be delayed. And two, if for any reason, I'm team carry on, but if for any reason there's no overhead bin space or if they, you know, at the gate, it turns out we're flying on a smaller aircraft than is, you know, than I would have expected or that doesn't have as much overhead space and they gate check my bag. Now I have to go to luggage claim and get my shit. So you want to give yourself enough time that leaving and getting to where your excursion is or meeting the person that's going to pick you up is, you know, you want to have enough time for that. So also the length of time is one thing to absolutely plan to visit another country or another region or just an area in general that is separate from what your destination actually is. That being said, is that two to four, two to five, I'd say like two to six hour, maybe. Yeah. Two to six is that like window of death for me. I would rather a layover less than two hours or longer than six hours. Longer than six hours, I can leave the airport. I can go eat something locally. I can go on a quick little walking tour. I can go shop. I can go just drive around the fucking city and bring me back to the airport. But anything that's less than two hours, I'm not leaving the fucking airport. 
I'm not doing it because I don't want to have to go through security again. And who knows how long that's going to take. So flights are moderately difficult for me only because layovers. Is this a layover that's going to be less than two hours? Or is this a layover that's going to be longer than six to eight hours? Anything, my perfect case scenario is all. And then also the catch is, do you have enough time total vacation? Like, do you have enough in, do do you have enough time off in the block at hand that stopping at a different destination other than your final destination is going to make sense for you, right? So if I only have four days off doing, you know, a day in a country separate from where I'm going might be a bit much because you have to consider you have your travel days on both ends. So you really have your like kind of truncated to the two days, right? So in that case, I kind of would rather, if I'm flying a substantial, uh, um, you know, a reasonable amount of distance, if I'm flying a substantial distance, I would much rather just spend two full days in that area and then deal with, you know, wherever my flight falls on the arrival and departure end. But if I have longer than that, then yes, maybe it would be nice to break my flight up, stop in some place that is different from my in intentional final destination. Yeah, that's considered the final destination, I think, not back home. Final destination is where you're going to end up on said leg of a trip. So I would like to have less than two hours or longer than two hours. If I have a short amount of time, I no shorter than two hours and longer than eight hours. I feel like I fucked that up. But what I would prefer was that if I am going to stop at some place before the final destination, that I had enough time to really enjoy the final destination and at least like a day or two to enjoy that destination in between. So it's not the most difficult decision to make because at some point it's going to make sense or it's not going to make sense. The next thing that I had was excursions. So for me, excursions can be difficult and this kind of ties into why um, the next and final portion is difficult for me is because I've got a thing around making the wrong decision. It's that cost of, there was an absolute word or phrasing that we learned in school. And for the life of me, I cannot remember it right now, but, um, opportunity costs, I want to say it might be where, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. It's the opportunity cost. So if I book excursion a, that means that I'm not going on excursion B choosing between a and B, not knowing anything other than what other people are telling me is difficult for me because I want to know if A is charging $75 and B is charging $100, what is the difference? Is a $75 um, excursion of less value or is the $75 excursion just supplemented elseways and the person just doesn't need to charge as uh, as much? So it's a matter of, you know, 
is this, am I getting a good value for my money? Am I getting a good host? Is this really something that I'm going to enjoy? I end up just like asking a bunch of different questions and I generally do two things. I will go with the option that has the most favorable and most recent reviews, as well as fits into a price point that I am absolutely willing to spend. So it's a matter, it's like, I'm not going to know if I'm making the right choice or not. Some places have so many options for the same thing. Looking at, um, Puerto Rico excursions, there are at least like 20 different options for going to El Junque. And I absolutely want to go because I, a bitch wants to fucking hike, right? But you've got some people that swear we're leaving early so that you can avoid the crowds. And you have some people say we're going to the areas that no one is going to go to. And then you have some people that have incredible reviews, but I don't know. Did you have a, was it, was it a crowd? Was it difficult for people to get it? You know what I mean? And then also it's like, well, is this something that I can do myself? Do I need to pay someone to bring me these places? Or is this something I can figure out on my own? I learned to question that. And to ask it that way from Bermuda, I went off season and there were a couple of different places that I wanted to visit, a couple of things that I wanted to see. And what I would have loved to book someone to do the tour for me and to, you know, accompany it with a narrative and explain things to me. But because I went off season, I had to do it myself. I ended up Googling what I wanted to see and I just took the bus there. And I still had an incredible time. And I also had the flexibility and the luxury to do it at my own pace. I didn't have to wait for other people on the tour. I didn't have to deal with personalities that may have clashed with my sentiments. Like I didn't have to deal with all the the extra. I was able to, you know, come and go as I please and then detour and, you know, shop, eat, you know, drink, whatever. I could do what I wanted to do in and when I wanted to do it. So sometimes choosing an excursion becomes, well, am does like, oh, here's another uh, example that just came to mind. One of my coworkers was telling me about a certain area. I can't remember what it's called now, but she was like, yeah, you drive in, pull up. It's like maybe a couple of dollars for a car and it's a good time. It's a good time. I saw a... or a $75 excursion on Airbnb for the exact same thing that she was telling me about. And she told me like she and her family, like they, now mind you, she had been to Puerto Rico a few times. So I'm pretty sure that they're more familiar with the area than I would be, but they drove up and went themselves. She's like, girl, we spent like $5 a person or maybe like 10, $15 a car. Like there are, for example, if you're going to a national park and you're just going to go on a very basic hike that doesn't include any swimming or that doesn't include any additional stops or explanations like, uh, a nature, um, guide or, you know, breakdown of the flora and fauna of the area. That being said, if you're not getting that in your trip, sometimes it's worth it to look and say, can I do this on my own? And so that's where it starts to get a little bit difficult for me. 
I start to question whether or not I am getting played for the amount of money that I'm going to spend. I start wondering whether or not this person actually is good at what they're doing. So I start questioning a lot of things. But what what saves me is remembering that I'm the fucking source. When you put me into the equation, I really do have some bearing on how things are going to turn out. I am team smile and warm welcome. I promise that so much more is accomplished through sugar than salt. I don't know what the other um, part of that adage is, but I really do feel like just being nice. And I think I asked pretty decent questions, but being pleasant personable allows for me to, for the most part, enjoy almost any tour that I've been on. So remember that your personality and your, the way you carry yourself and your presentation to the people around you can have quite a substantial effect on how you enjoy your trip. I know in Cuba, because I engaged with a bunch of the other people that were on the trip with me, I made friends that I still keep up with. And I had a kick-ass fucking time because there was always somebody to turn around Kiki with real quick, be like, oh, I see you. Come on, green shorts and have a good time with, you know what I mean? So things like that, you, you can't find that in a review. That's not going to be explained in the description of the tour. Your disposition is what you bring to the table when it comes to your satisfaction. That's actually a pretty decent little, uh, little line there. So I try to remind myself that I'm the source, right? And then I will, like I said, check the reviews and choose if there are a ton of different options. I generally, I think I like to go with like a mid-tier one. You don't want to go with the cheapest one. You don't want to go with the most expensive one. And this is when, this is in the case where there are like just so many different options of doing the same thing, right? I generally would like to go for like a mid-tier with good reviews. Whereas if there are only like a handful, that becomes a little bit easier because it's like, okay, well, let me see how they described it. Let's look at the pictures that were included. And this is in reference to generally Airbnb, Viator, Expedia. Those are the platforms that I use to book my excursions as well as, um, you know, get a review and a feel for what I may be interested in in an area. So let's see. Oh yeah, and then also, if I have the time and space to do more, I might scale back the price and say, all right, well, I'll just go with the cheapest one because I'm here for five days. I'm gonna wanna do something at least every other day. So it doesn't behoove me to spend $150 for every excursion. I might spend $150 for one really kick-ass like 12-hour three-country bus trip or something like that, right? But if it's like a city, and then like pair that with like a city walking tour for like $25, or I might do three different $50, you know, experiences in the area. So sometimes you really got to, you know, use your overall big picture, you know, mind and consider what does it cost me to do? Do I want to do more than one thing or do I want to do numerous things? So sometimes that'll play into your decision-making in terms of what excursions to do. Um, And finally, 
the most stressful part of travel planning for me is the accommodations because accommodations are 100% on me. Nobody but me decides where I'm going to stay. So it becomes, and I'm actually going to do a later episode on accommodations and, you know, further deep dive into how I try to, um, choose the best one and make my best decision. But I actually recently tweeted on the Twitters. Follow me over on Twitter. It's travel and shit, T-R-A-V-E-L, the letter N, S-H underscore T. I'm, I'm tweeting a little bit more. I'm not hating it. So let's just read what I have here as opposed to me trying to spend even longer to remember what I said. So I said, do you ever find yourself overwhelmed in vacation planning? So I was trying to choose an Airbnb. I was stuck because for the most part, I'm naturally indecisive. But I decided to dig a little bit deeper and ask myself, what was making um, this decision hard? Like, what was I afraid of? And I realized that I was afraid of just choosing the wrong property in general. So instead of just stopping there, I decided to just keep asking more questions. And I realized that, like, the, what was it? Right. I asked what would make a property the wrong choice and it's not hitting a wish list item, right? And so for me, I realized that the, um, a lot of my anxiety around travel plans and just making decisions is not really understanding what is a measurable gauge of success. So what I had to do is break it down to what is the most basic expectate, like what is, what is my bare minimum? What are my requirements? And once I was able to list what I needed, it became a lot easier for me to see what I don't want. I'm one of those people that is better able to identify things that I am not interested in than I am able to identify things that I am interested in. I'm able to say what I don't want faster than I'm able to say what I do want. So Like if you were to take me out someplace to eat, ask me what I don't want to eat and we'll get the ball rolling. Don't ask me what I want to eat because I'll kind of eat anything. However, I might not be in the mood for fucking pizza or I might not be in the mood for sushi that day. That being said, I realized that I could just write a fucking list. I was making, again, a mountain out of a molehill and it was because I didn't know what I was trying to, um, what I was trying to measure. I didn't, I was trying to get an answer without giving myself a formula and actively writing down what my non-negotiables were. Like I had it written down, like I wrote down what I wanted and all of a sudden shit made sense. So it was really simple when I really gave it some thought and writing down what I wanted, what I absolutely was not willing to waver on made it a little bit easier, especially when it comes down to things like, uh, accommodation and excursions when it's not just me at this point, I am having to consider my boyfriend as well. So 
with accommodations, it's like, well, okay, well, are do, are you trying to drive everywhere? Or like, do you want to walk? Because I know I don't really want to drive. Like, I'd rather be able to walk places. Writing that list of things that was absolutely necessary for me to enjoy my vacation, the certain amenities that were going to be at my disposal or our disposal while we were there, knowing what those things were made it so much easier, like I said, to realize what I don't want. And I have a couple of really cute little pro tips for you guys in terms of, you know, like a a more comprehensive list, if you will, for accommodations, because I really did some deep diving and I want to share in more detail what the results of said deep dive were so that you guys can actually, because I know I'm not the only person that wildly stresses about fucking accommodations. I know I'm not the only person that stresses making decisions in general. So accommodations in particular, I'm definitely going to have an episode about that in the future. But my solo travel planning course absolutely breaks down some of the steps that I take to make sure everything is a bit more um, easy for me to process. Sometimes big information, like lots of information and lots of choices don't register for me the way they're presented. I often want to fill in a spreadsheet or I often want to write things out by hand or color coordinate things. There are a couple of different things that I do because they match my personality style and the way that I ingest information that make planning trips so much easier for me. But overall, broad brushstroke, give yourself measurable parameters. When you choose a flight, are you off at 3 p.m.? If you're not, that flight's not going to work. That's measurable. Time is a distinct um, definitive. When it leaves is when it leaves, right? So choosing a flight can be very easy when you work within, can I be there on time? Will I have enough time to not be stressed about the airport? Do I have access to TSA pre-check at this airport? Do I have access to mobile ticketing at this airport? Little things like that make that portion of it easy because those are measurable um, measurable parameters. The, the next thing with, you know, excursions, there's a, regardless of whether or not there are 500 options, it's still finite. You got, there's going to come an end to it. So at a certain point, list out what you're interested in, list out the days you're there. You're only there for a certain amount of time generally. So within that window, what falls? That makes it a little bit easier to decide because you know whether or not something's viable based on your timing. And with accommodations, the root of that is what am I not okay with not having? What are my requirements? Giving myself those measurable goals absolutely helps me make easier decisions. And that's what works for me. That may not be what works for you. I can't help you with that. I'm giving you the special sauce that I'm, you know, I'm giving you the realizations that I'm coming to for my personal travel style and hoping that this at least gives you one, if you're not a similar traveler or if you don't have a similar disposition in your 
comings and goings, the way you make decisions, the way you travel. And if we're not similar in those ways, it will at least give you a springboard to say, okay, well, that's one way to do it. I don't know what works for me, but what I can do is try this suggested method or what I can do is try these tips and at some point say either it worked or it didn't work. Again, because it's fucking measurable. So like I mentioned, my solo travel planning course, I basically break all the shit down that I do. I break it into different sections, the different parts of a trip that I'm considering when I am booking a trip and when I am making choices about the trip that I do. It is absolutely there. It is free. Just go to travelandshippodcast.com and you can go to the resources tab and you can click on the solo travel planning course and it'll give you a, and also if you're not traveling solo, you can still check it out and just consider that, okay, you have to consider someone else's opinion about whether or not, you know, the decisions that you're making with that guidance are going to work for them as well. There's also a uh, supplemental workbook where if you are interested in seeing the spreadsheets that I use, using the checklists that I use, and you know having tangible things that you can print out, because they're all printables, you can print it all out in the workbook section. You can print all that out. And um, that's also like, a, like I told you how I did it for free, but then like there's a charge for the what I did for the actual, okay, so this is the actual paper that I use for plugging and plotting out my excursions, right? That is also available to you should you need a little bit more help. So that's it for this week. I am going to uh, eat so I can go to fuck to sleep. Travel is so much more than vacation, but the actual understanding of your personality in the beginning, this isn't even about the going on the vacation part, the actual planning, the putting together the trip, the deciding on where you're going to go and what you're going to do there. I feel like a lot of times this is for me, I'm speaking for like-minded people. Some things aren't as black and white. I live in the gray and sometimes it just comes out of being the destination. It's not just about where I'm going. It's that whole process beforehand. It's the, the, the traveling part of it, the traveling through, am I stressing myself out? Is this going to even like, am I building and working myself up to not being able to enjoy my vacation? Am I stressing myself out to the point that I'm absolutely going to be miserable on the trip? There's so many different things about travel that aren't just destination based, based, that aren't just, you know, the idea of vacation. And that's what I like fucking with. That's really what I like talking about. And I really hope that this was a little bit helpful. No, I hope it was a lot fucking helpful. And if it was a little bit helpful, that works too. But I hope that you got something from it. Take what works and, you know, share the rest. So travelandshippodcast.com if you're interested in the solo travel planning course or the workbook that I have. And if you do have any questions or if you want something, um, you know, expounded on or, you know, you have a suggestion for a future episode, 
shoot me an email. Dcarrie, D-C-A-R-R-I-E, at travelandshippodcast.com. And, um, you know, oh, also check out the merch. I got new merch. That's the beer cozy. Just held up to the camera because there's also video. If you're listening to the podcast, I'll have the link to the actual YouTube video in the description. So feel free to swing on by there to see this adorable face. And um, that's it. I think I did. No, it's like it's over 45 minutes. So I don't even know if that counts as like keeping it short, right? I don't know, y'all. All right. Bye. Appreciate y'all being here, guys. See you next week.